live from the Badlands of Texas, 360 degrees around the earth, from southern Australia all the way to northern Ireland. We pack it up and we melt to lore there in northern Ireland. You are listening, or you are watching, Midnight Radio. That is right. Not only are we live on YouTube, filmed in front of a live studio audience, we are live on the radio. I just want to give a shout out to those who are listening to us live on the radio and iHeartRadio and tune in. Let's hear it for everybody. I am your host, Gerald Schmemans. I'd like to say thank you to our executive producer, Lady Lisa. Lady Lisa, thank you very much. And I don't know how many of you guys were rocking with us on the weekend. We had like a huge all day. We had a Saturday show. We kicked it off right after the show. Did it did four hours. And after that, we had Johnny who kicked in another two. So six hours of rock and tunes, and I'm having the songs bouncing in my head. I can't, we had Joe Biden come in and sing started up by the Rolling Stones, and I can't get that damn song out of my head. And I've got some new songs coming up for the next time I do a set from Selena. And hell, I don't know. And I got one, uh, I got a new one from Biden called Biden Dirty. Maybe we'll play that. So if you guys didn't join us we have a lot of fun on that and also if you're interested in becoming an executive producer any payment of twenty dollars or more the whether it's a super chat whether it's our cash app at dollar sign midnight radio 101 or it's a super thanks all that money goes into our music radio license you want to check out our radio station it's down there in the description of this video that's all really we need to do to describe it thank you for joining us all of that goes to our music license if i didn't mention it I've got some things to talk about now. I'm going to talk more about the Idaho 4 case. And they're fighting over the littlest of things like, I don't know, an alibi. How often does that happen? Oh, that could happen. You know, they file the paperwork. They file it all. It's a typical thing. Bullshit. Not over an alibi. There's so much bullshit coming off this Idaho case. Yes, we do realize it can happen. We do realize it is, you know, a part of the rights and all that. But that it always happens. Don't patronize us. How's everybody doing in the chat room? I want to say hello to Electron Hot Ham. Where did, uh, hello, Laura. Backseat Gamer. Jen took it off. She sure did. I saw somebody else. Phantom Grower 420. And da, 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 da. man, I saw somebody else. Oh, well, maybe they said something naughty. And head mod took it off. All right. Um, here we go. I saw a whole lot of cases today about murder suicides. I mean, there's so many that I couldn't report them all. We're going to go over some of the, the the more bizarre ones some of you know i mean there's some famous people involved but before all that ah man 
we're going to go over this Idaho story because you guys are, you guys dig it. All right. That's right. Electra had another great show last night. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Here we go again. Was Brian Kohlberger alone during the Idaho murders? No, seriously. This looked like a bait and switch at first, you know, just it's a catchy uh, headline. And then I remembered something, and we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about that after the hell they got playing here we're going to talk about that after this voicemail we got about idaho from someone that lives there someone that lives there in moscow so here we go hey people that live in moscow will not talk because they're afraid of doug wilson and the police the press and the whole thing but we all live there and uh the u-hauls and the uh trailer that they use for the security truck in front of the house was being built on rodeo on the street before the murders, okay? And they target everybody in town, okay? They have one pawn shop. I know the owner. They never check nothing there, okay? That's what they do. So put that out there because we live on the street, and the U-Hauls were there, and they built the shed at the end of the street. So that would be premeditated, right? So there you go. Hopefully, uh, you get something out there, but that's where it starts. It's all about the money. They all have the money. Show Walker's uncle is the attorney general. You know, Fry's uh, wife is the circuit clerk. They all got promotions. It's all about money and Freemasons and numbers, and all the numbers are 666 on everything. Look at the blood stains. There's four stains to the left. Okay, somebody just told me there's no audio. Well, son of a... Oh, all right. I can give... I can get audio. Damn it. This program that broadcasts is a real pain in Schmimmin's ass. All right, here we go. I'll try it this way. <clears throat> all right. Um, If I do this... And I do this, I smack this around. Maybe, oh, if I twist this, oh. All right, can you guys hear this? Hey, people that live in Moscow will not talk because they're afraid of Doug Wilson and the police, the press, and the whole thing. But we all live there, and uh, the U-Hauls and the uh, trailer that they use for the security truck in front of the house was being built on rodeo on the street before the murders, okay? And they target everybody in town, okay? They have one pawn shop. I know the owner. They never check nothing there, okay? That's what they do. So put that out there because we live on the street and the U-Hauls were there and they built the shed at the end of the street. So that would be premeditated, right? So there you go. Hopefully, uh, you get something out there, but that's where it starts. It's all about the money. They all have the money. Show Walker's uncle is the attorney general. 
you know, Fry's uh, wife is the circuit clerk. They all got promotions. It's all about money and Freemasons and numbers, and all the numbers are 666 on everything. Look at the blood stains. There's four stains to the left, two to the right, right? There's six blood stains. Those are made up. That's fake. Okay, is there tunnels? We know there's tunnels. They just went in and covered them all up, right? Right when he was going through. So there's your info. Good luck because no one talks because they're afraid in town you'll be blacklisted, blackballed, or dead. That's what happens in Moscow. My kids are in universities. We're in the university and frats, and they own the town. Doug Wilson, Christchurch, they haven't talked about, right? So there's a lot of all the information. And the defense has it. You know that. So have a great day. God bless. Jesus and God will get victory because it's already coming out because it always All of it was filmed. All of us in town were filming it all. We know the town is pure evil, and that's the bottom line. Follow the money. Have a great day, and it's a nice show. Thank you. There's one thing I can guarantee, and that's that Doug Wilson and the city of Moscow are not friends. There's two members of the church during a protest that had their civil rights violated, you know, because of the whole <clears throat> a mandate to wear a uh, Diaper over your face? Yeah, that mandate thing. They uh, sued him for $300,000. And one, they're not working together. That's all I can tell you for definitely sure. Other than that, I don't understand a thing that man said. And um, probably going to have to lift. And I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be a jack uh, ass. I said it. I'm going to have to listen to it a couple times. I'm trying to understand when he said the... U-Haul trucks were there or not. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Let's go ahead and go over the new stuff we were going to go over. Brian's face broke the Internet. We're talking about the defense. We already went over the prosecution saying that it should be thrown out. We're not giving you an alibi. Kiss my hand. It should be thrown out because they didn't do the secret <laughs> the secret uh indictment right you know guys yeah they're secret there's the indictment is um held in secret a lot of times and there's good reason for that all right it came back to us that both sides did not protest or being um uh indictment they're like oh yeah let's do it let's do it You know, it's in, and you're going to notice that from here on out because I just said it. That is something that she does. I guarantee you. Like, for example, the house not being destroyed, all right? They both okayed it, the defense and the prosecution okayed the house to be destroyed. And the university was going to destroy said house till people jumped in and said, no, you damn fiber sleuths. Until you guys said no, and they're like, okay, well, maybe we're not going. They didn't say they're not going to knock it down. They said they're going to do it in October. They're going to wait till October. Well, things were going on now. It's going to push it back. But anyway, I guarantee you that Ann Taylor, that house would have been knocked down, and she would have been trying to have a mistrial declared because the house got knocked down. She agrees to things, and then she says, but, well, check this out. So the defense team for Brian Kohlberger and state prosecutors are currently in a fight over the suspected murder's possible alibi. 
And again, this is going to relate to the title of this, prompting questions around where he was and who he was with at the time of the crime. Uh, Was Koberger alone during the Idaho murders? Okay. Kohlberger is accused of breaking into an off-campus rental home in Moscow, Idaho in the early mornings of November 13, 2022. For those of you that didn't know, at stabbing four University of Idaho students, Kayla Gonsalves, Maddie Mogan, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin to death. Wow. Let's not forget that. He was charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of felony burglary, but not, not convicted yet. In the motion filed on Thursday, the county prosecutor, Bill Thompson, sought to compel Kohlberger's defense team to provide further information on a possible alibi and listed two bullet points that must be included in their response. The motion called on Kohlberger's defense team to provide details on the specific place or places at which the defendant claims to have been at the time of the burglary and homicides in this case. as well as information on witnesses that can establish such alibi, providing that Kohlberger was not alone at the time of the murders. Okay, do you guys remember when, uh, what is her last, Dylan Mortson was being subpoenaed by Brian Kohlberger's defense team saying that they believed that she had information that could exonerate their client, and they wanted to talk to her. Then they played a game. The city of Moscow and their legal, um, not law enforcement, but their legal system played a game, and they went ahead before there was time to talk to her. They uh, did the secret grand jury and went ahead and got their indictment. Remember that? Do you think those could possibly be linked? Because the only defense... Brian Kohlberger could possibly have, and this is say this is stating. I mean, this is a big one though, and this is saying that all the evidence that they have is true and correct. All right, nobody planted anything really. You know, we're not talking about the the very you know the three grains of epithelial cells that were on that knife sheath that they tested the hell out of because they had enough, even though they barely had any. Anyway was that he is a drug addict and he was buying drugs at the house he doesn't that make sense 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 well i wish you'd look at this ladies and gentlemen so you're brian kohlberger you're trying to get you some drugs he had a hard time right he got fired from his job with the school. Was going to lose his uh, damn education path. He's right there. Things have been getting worse for me, and he'd been edgier. Let's not talk about. Let's not think about murder. None of that has happened yet. So he's driving to get a fix from somebody he knows in a place he knows that everybody knew. Supposedly, I've heard that where to get a fix from. Right. So he goes down there to buy from Bethany. Again, I'm not saying this is true. 
But could this be a defense? He goes there and he sees that the house is shut down for the night. And he's like, well, shit. Right? But he needs a hit bad. He needs something bad. Maybe we don't know if he tried to call or not at that time. We don't know what communication he or any he had with the people in the house other than he tried to follow him on social media and even sent a message. Hi, I'm Brian. And they didn't answer, supposedly. That's what we heard. Everything's blocked, so we don't know. There's information we don't have. And it might not have just been Bethany. It might have been anybody, but I'm talking about Bethany because this fits with what they're saying. He's driving around, driving around. This is what they have on their evidence that he's pinging here. He's pinging there. Ping, 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 ping. And he sees, he sees what? He sees the light come on on the porch. And he's like, oh, and he sees food. Oh, somebody's home. It's okay. Maybe I can get my heroin or whatever the hell it is. H. H. And then he goes in. And I don't know from there. But just the fact that he could account for that with this little story. All right. And for his, the defense to say, we need to talk to her because she can exonerate our client maybe he knew he was with her or talked to her i don't know and we're not going to find out and how the hell dare i bring this up i'm just saying you can't hurt me bro you can't hurt me the only reason the only thing i could think of for him to be able to get off with that and have a reason for all that that he did that weird shit of driving around going back in the morning and then there's the weird shit he bought at the store that's another story right but is this what they're trying to say something that i had the balls to talk about saying maybe dylan had something to do with this they try to talk to her and then boom up you're not talking to her we're having we're going ahead and indicting and then they're like well f you we're not going to tell you what the alibi is But you know what? And they said it. The uh, defense said it. They go, you're going to find out in cross-examination what the alibi is. The defense doesn't like that. Maybe they know. Maybe they don't know. What else could it be? I don't know. We're waiting for the trial. It looks like it's possibly going to get moved back. Check this out. Bill Thompson sought to compel Kohlberger's defense team to provide further information on a possible alibi and listed two bullet points that must be included in the response, and they are the follows. They have to provide, according to Bill, details on the specific place or places at which the defendant claims to have been at the time of the burglary and homicides in this case, as well as information on witnesses that can establish such alibi, providing that Kohlberger was not alone at the time of the murders, Now, the motion was filed on Thursday, shortly after Kohlberger's defense team, led by Ann Taylor, filed a document on Monday offering brief details about a possible, possible alibi. 
On Monday's filing, Taylor did not provide an official alibi, but instead said the further evidence showing that Kohlberger was not at the scene of the crime when the murders were committed would be revealed at a later date. It is anticipated this evidence may be offered by way of cross-examination of witnesses produced by the state as well as calling expert witnesses, Taylor wrote in the filing. Prior to the filing, the state on Thursday, Michael McAlfee, an elected state attorney in Florida and former federal prosecutor, told Newsweek that the court will need to evaluate whether the defendant must disclose more detailed information regarding any affirmative assertion that the defendant was at a different location at the time of the murders. In addition to the document filed by prosecutors on Thursday, Goldberger's defense team also filed their own motion in an attempt to have the grand jury indictment thrown away, saying, uh, well, here we go. This motion is made on the grounds that the grand jury was misled as to the standard of proof required for an indictment. Goldberger's trial is expected to begin October 2nd. All right, I got a little bit more on this. By golly, let's play this video. We'll see what it is. Brian Koberger has been granted a 37-day stay in his upcoming murder trial. The Pennsylvania man is accused of stabbing four students from the University of Idaho last year. The judge granted the stay so that the defense time could have more time, actually, to review grand jury materials. I'm Jessica Cartelli with your evening digital... Well, that was old and useless. All right, so prosecutors in the case of Brian Kohlberger, the man accused of killing four University of Idaho students, have filed a motion asking a judge to compel his defense team to share information about his alibi. So we had some very interesting comments in the last video we did about this, and... um, One of the interesting things, and I think a lot of us were thinking it too, is that the burden for a indictment is that the murder occurred and the person was involved, all right, in the murder, whatever the crime is. It's not a reasonable doubt. And Taylor's asking for above a reasonable doubt. Is she going to get that? I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell. And it's almost offensive that she tried. But we're going to keep looking at this. I'm not going to go over the paperwork because there's no sense of it. Although I did look at uh, Ann Taylor's paperwork that she gave out last Friday. Or was it Saturday? Yeah, we looked at it on Saturday. So you can check that out if you want to. She said this. Defense attorneys argue the Idaho State Constitution sets the standard of proof for a grand jury at beyond a reasonable doubt. But the grand jury in the case against Kohlberger was given the lower standard required for an archaic process called presentment, which requires a preliminary hearing. In turn, failing to properly instruct the grand jury is grounds for dismissal of the whole indictment, the defense argues. What do they want, a new indictment? Idaho's criminal procedure law defines a presentment as a formal statement by the grand jury indicating to the court a crime has been committed and there are reasonable grounds that a person named in the presentment 
committed the crime. In comparison, in an indictment under Idaho law is a written accusation presented by the grand jury charging a person with a public offense. Kohlberger's attorney argued the indictment should never should either be dismissed or be treated as a presentment and have have a preliminary hearing. They did talk about the preliminary hearing before the secret grand jury. They acknowledged in the motion that the defense recognizes that the whole of modern jurisprudence on this issue is against it. Due to a wide-ranging gag order, none of them can talk about any of this. All right. I'm going to go to the chat room and see what you guys say right here, and then we're going to move on. Let's say some hello. Hello, Hustling Crow. The Richard is back. The Richard. Motion to dismiss the grand jury and go back to preliminary at Hot Ham Radio. They want a fair trial with all the bells and whistles. How about dim apples? Prosecution has a legal right to know the details of his alibi, especially since he filed one. Nobody said he filed one. I feel like there is much more to this case that will be swept under the rug if they focus on BK. You'll know nothing and like it. I agree with Lisa. Christian Mayers. Well, Hot Ham, the defense is doing only what they can. It's the prosecution withholding the evidence. The prosecution is withholding evidence. Okay. Not a doubt about it. The prosecution was complaining about the defense withholding information that their client was innocent. All right. But now it's the prosecution withholding evidence of what his alibi, the most basic pieces of information they should have to give to the defense for the defense to work on their case. But where is the client's right to remain silent? All right. There is a right to remain silent. Okay. Without a doubt, there is a right to not testify against yourself. Okay. But I don't know if we have a lawyer here. Coop, Coop, no, Coop, Coop doesn't watch the show anymore. He's playing T-ball or coaching. But if he doesn't testify, if he shuts his mouth, he shuts his mouth. That's fine. But if he gave that information, that alibi to his prosecution, don't they have the obligation to turn it over if they have it? If he told them where he was and what he was doing, do they not have the obligation to hand that over? Now, if he said nothing, he said nothing. But if he said something, I believe they have to give it over. All right, guys. Uh, I got some. I got some weird stuff. Yes, always read our comments in reverse because it's so funny. Damn right. Funny, you're reading them in reverse. We had a linear conversation in chat. You're reading and responding out of order. I know, man. Come on now. Oh, come on, man. He has a right to know all he's being accused of, including discovery. He has a right to know all he's accused. That's true, but doesn't the defense have the right to know where he was? Was What his alibi is? all right bethany at midnight radio bf was subpoenaed and she refused to come to idaho thus denied the first request she agreed to meet them in nevada 24 hours later grand jury nixed that possibility that's what i said richard we concur 
did a show about it. La, 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 la. All right. Idaho tells us that telling the, telling the public information is wrong, but we see everyone else doing it, and it's not harming the investigation about other things, too. I certainly would have called Miss Trough House toward now and hard to prove the nonsense of the evidence of nonsense no longer exists. All right, talking about nonsense. I'm gonna move on to our next story, and it pains me. It pains me in a big way to not be able to say your girl Banfield is coming up. But I can't. I don't know where she's at. She only shows up to work once a week. I'm gonna have to call her and see what's going on. We haven't had a conversation in a while. She's going to have to call me with her burner phone and give me an explanation. I demand satisfaction because I'm tired of this ass clown. Clown with a capital ass. You remember- we have a cryptic hint of what Asa Ellerup, better known as Mrs. Rex Hurman, may have seen. Mrs. Rex von Hurman, everybody. Inside the family's ransacked home in Massapequa Park when she and the children returned there yesterday. Today, Ellerup told the Daily Mail, quote, I got over the hurdle of what I saw inside. She offered no further explanation, but is also quoted as saying the sheer depression. There she is, Miss America. There she is, your ideal. What I saw inside. She offered no further explanation. There she is, mad as hell. She is, get off my land, she says. Mrs. Von Hurman. Explanation, but is also quoted as saying, the sheer depression of what I saw was enough trauma. Whether she's talking about what was found inside her house or the condition of the house, uh, the way it was left after the, the 12-day search by police. That- I know what she's talking about. She's talking about the pictures and the, the evidence the, that the policemen showed her. They, they already talked about this. The policemen that were there talked about this they said mrs Hurman, your husband is gilgo we think we're arresting him because we think he's involved in these murders you know she said no way and they're like um here check this out yeah here's a nice glossy eight by five card of him doing it she looked at it and she's like oh my god well okay then and that's what she's talking about brian that part of- you know banfield wouldn't have made this mistake you got ass eyes, Brian. It's still a mystery. I'm guessing it's just the fact that the house was so ransacked. Uh, but were there signs in that house that were missed by Hurman's family all those years or perhaps missed by neighbors? Joining me now is Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, she is a forensic psychiatrist who's provided expert witness testimony in high-profile murder cases. And also uh, Lisa Rybakov, a polygraph expert and private investigator who's been following this case from the very beginning. Uh, Lisa and Carol, thank you so much for being with us. I want to start with you, Lisa. Uh, what do you make of, of uh, Hurman's wife's comments? The sheer depression of what I saw was enough trauma. What do you think she's talking about, Lisa? I would hope that what she's discussing is pertaining to the trauma of going back to the only home that she's known. Oh, you dumbasses! They already, the police already talked about this. You didn't even do your homework. They just make this shit up as they go since emigrating from Iceland. Lisa Ashley did it with style. To the destruction and everything that was turned over while the executed search warrant was done. And again, with regards to search warrants, 
anything is fair game as long as it fits within the statutes of the search warrant. And we all know that they necessarily, the individuals that had executed the search warrant are not responsible for putting everything back where they found it. So I think a lot of it has to do with the turmoil pertaining to the condition of the house, maybe things that were broken that she did hold uh, close and personal to her, maybe some childhood relics of her children were taken. So there could be a lot of family history that not only is destroyed because of the alleged actions of their father and husband, but also because of the execution of the search warrant. Yeah, I just can't imagine what that family is going through. I really can't. And I cannot imagine what the inside of that house looked like. They were there for almost two weeks going through everything. We saw what they did in the yard, digging up the yard. Imagine what they did in the house. Um, It's it's hard to imagine what the family walked into. Carol, you say consistent observation. You're a Philly poop, Norman. Norman, what did you do? Norman. Observations of unusual behavior over time is the best indicator uh, if a, of, of whether or not a person is, is living a, a double life. I, explain what, what you mean by that. Well, in other words, there are a number of different signs that might um, make you or should make you suspicious that someone is a serial killer. But no one sign in particular. I mean, for example, the basic sign is that the person is odd. He doesn't seem to fit together all his pieces and doesn't seem to fit in the uh, surroundings. And, you know, what's interesting is that when they've been talking to people in his school, um, all through his school years, and they, they talk about that, that he didn't seem to fit in, he was odd and so on. Um, Huberman's wife is an enigma. I think she's very fascinating. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think... How the hell is the wife... What the fuck are you talking about? How the hell is the the wife an enigma? What the hell are wrong with these people? They're just pulling all this from their ass. Any of you guys could come up here. I could say you're an expert. Yes, I'd like to... Yes, uh, on the show we have Lady Electra. DJ Electra, she's an expert on bullshitting, and she is a expert. And there's a lot of bullshit going down here. So you need to tell me what what do you think? What the hell are they talking about? They don't even get the basic facts right. Why she? Why would she be mad? Well, shit, I don't know. That she didn't know. Maybe because her seven foot tall Herman Muster looking ass husband is being you know taken away maybe because every time she left every time she went on a vacation that he urged her to go into you know he's with a bunch of prostitutes i don't know yeah she's an enigma you guys are some dumbasses anything God. Um, I'm not saying that she knew that she had any evidence or that she knew specifically that he murdered these women but you're not saying shit because you don't know anything god look the police department in New York, all right, when they arrested him, they went up to her, and she's like, what's going on? What's going on? Norman, what did you do, Norman? You poop. And they said, we're arresting your husband. We believe he murdered, you know, these teenage hookers, you know. Here's the pictures of him taking selfies with these hookers, and, you know, here's the dates that you were on vacation. And she's like, well, son of a bitch, you got me there. Bye, Norman. And they don't even know that because they don't even follow the damn story. God, you suck ass, Brian. Everybody. Ban Phil. Bring back Ashley. 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 
Um, they've been married for over 25 years. When couples are married and one of the people has an affair, the other person really knows deep down. They may not see any evidence, but they know that there's something going on. And so I think that she knew that there was a dark side to him and that there was something dark going on. But, you know, part of it is denial. She didn't want to know. And part of it is, and this is kind of interesting, that she was living in a fantasy world of her own. You know, she was very involved in comic books. She went to comic book conventions and so on. And she. How many of you uh, perverts out there look at comic books? How many of you damn weirdos go to comic book conventions? Also gave herself a name for social media, Elven Maiden which is a name from a fantasy video game. So it seems like she was just wrapped up in comics. I got nothing. I got nothing for that one. And video games and didn't want to see what was going on with her husband. Yeah, I've wondered, you know, once all of this went down and he was arrested, does she then think back to times like, oh my gosh, I think this was weird. Something maybe she didn't realize at the time, but now sort of makes sense. Lisa, what else do we know about her? I mean, um, Carol brought up the fact that she was a comic book fan and that she had this interesting social media presence, but do we know much else what she did for a living or, you know, what her life was like? The only information that we've been made part of the public is that she did... Uh, maintain this comic book lifestyle. She did have this alternate sense of reality. And the first thing that I would think of as an investigator is that clearly she has some sort of internal trauma where she's creating a secondary lifestyle to almost suppress what she actually has going on in her day-to-day life, routines, family, interpersonal relationships. I mean, the only thing that we've seen and learned so far, or at least one of the main facts, is that she was going ahead and using food stamps to go ahead and purchase groceries. Um, we don't know what the financial status is of the family itself, as well as their assets pertaining to properties, real estate, as well as their current financial standings. But for her to possibly be under financial control at the same time also creates a level of trauma where she doesn't have the capability of buying herself expenditures for her children or herself or possibly living a lifestyle that she does see that her neighbors are also residing in. thank you for watching go to newsnationnow.com i just watched the end okay so why do they need to psychoanalyze the spouse lol it is so annoying <laughs> all right guys i've got some official audio from the wife i'm gonna play it for you right now they don't have it by golly gumdrops Mr. Schmimmons has it. I'm going to play it for you right now, but I'm not going to show it to you because I don't want to get. All right, here we go. Who the hell are you? I'm Owen's friend. Owen doesn't have a friend. That's because he's. This is how it went down, guys. Shy. No, he's not. He's fat and he's stupid. Get out of my house. Where is Owen? Owen went bowling. I run, Owen! I'll be back in a minute. I run my bath. I run my medicine. I can get it for you. Who the hell are you all of a sudden? Let me hang it up for you. I can hang it my own job, I know that, but I would like to hang it up for get you. Get out of my way, you black bastard. What? Mrs. Lift! He's trying to kill me. What? I said he's trying to kill me. Mrs. Lift! Don't! Hang up my own job, shot. He's trying to kill me. I asked for the salted nuts. He brought me the unsalted nuts. 
The unsettledness makes me choke. So some of you couldn't hear that, and uh, it'll be there on post-production. So how about that, everybody? You have a reason to look at it again. This program is trolling me. Damn it, YouTube. All right. I got some updates on the Alicia Navarro case, and uh, this is really pissing me off, guys. It's the sound of silence. What happened? You two, man. I don't, uh-huh. I'll put it in later, man. I'll edit it and put it up later. I'll put the audio. You'll hear the audio that you didn't hear. And you're going to hear the uh, one. Hold on. You're going to hear the one twice. So I really want to know what you guys think about this Alicia Navarro case. And for those of you that are just tuning in have just joined us, welcome if you would go ahead and hit that subscribe button and hit that bell that way you can join in the conversation that's what the show is all about i have a phone number the phone number is the hell is that phone number three two five two six one zero eight nine two you can leave it a comment or question 24 hours a day If you have the stones, you can actually call in during the show and talk to me when it's live. The phone line is now open, 325 You can call live. I want to know what you guys think about the Alicia Navarro case. This is a little girl. Actually, we're gonna. I'm going to read about this and you'll find out about it. She's been missed. She's not a little girl anymore. She's been missing since she was 14, 2019. She was stopped by a Montana police department alone. She stopped by it on Sunday and she identified herself sparking questions about her disappearance in a recent life. that are still swirling days after the police announced this news. Now we have updates to this. So I'm going to go where we are and I'm going to catch you up on this. And there's been a new development and some of you guys are involved and I'll show you how she vanished. She vanished from Glendale, Arizona on September 19th. Since coming forward about a week ago, she's spoken remotely with her family who are in Arizona. Detectives from Glendale executed a search warrant Wednesday and detained a man, I use the term loosely, who has since been released in Harve, Montana. Police have not released the identity of the man and have not made any arrests in the case. Glendale police spokesman said authorities are working to determine what happened over the past four years and whether a crime occurred. Kidnapping is a possibility, authorities said. Now, she vanished from her home in Glendale, Arkansas. A week before her 15th birthday, she left her mother with a handwritten note that just said, um, um, saying she would come back home. And she also said she was sorry. Video footage of an interview she gave this week with the police shows a teenager appeared tired but otherwise healthy. Her mother told somebody, she told the newspaper, she suspected Alicia may have been abducted by someone she met online while playing a game. 
She spent most of her time gaming, a hobby that she had taken up at 11 years old. All right, here's the update. Here's the latest. And then we, we're going to have a few words from her mother. As many as 10 uniformed and undercover officers showed up at around 8 p.m. Wednesday and took away a man who appeared to be living there in handcuffs. According to a witness's account, the man was questioned and released. Three other people in Harve have been questioned. Glendale police spokesman said she declined to name the people who were interviewed and would not specify whether detectives are still in the Montana town. What have they found so far? Well, here we go. She was found safe. Police and a private investigator said when she walked in the police department, she also talked about wanting to move forward in life as an adult, getting a driver's license. Police said she Navarro, police have said Navarro told them she hadn't been harmed and wasn't being held and could come and go as she pleased. She does not face any criminal charges, they added. Police have emphasized the effort to afford privacy to Navarro, even as investigations move forward. Now, here's the deal, guys. This is, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this story is popping with the true crime community right now. And there's a lot of people that go very deep into it. And there's a lot of people, This is, I guess it's a beautiful thing, but you can't lie in the true crime community. Because there's people that can take your information and look you up. So they looked her up. They looked the guy up who lived in that in that house and they swamped them with questions and they swamped them with phone calls. For years Nunez has documented her efforts to find her daughter on a Facebook page entitled Finding Alicia in an audio podcast. In an emotional video posted Wednesday, Nunez, the mother, said, and for everyone who has missing loved ones, I want you to use this case as an example. Miracles do exist. Never lose hope and always fight. But here's the latest update. I'm going to put what her mom said right here. We're going to watch this. After I take this phone call. All right, try to call. Actually, I'll call you back. How about that? Hello. Please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. Gerald Schmemans. Hello. Hello. Did you call me earlier? Yeah. What's going up? What's going on, man? What up, dude? Uh, aloha. This is me, Richard, speaking to you for the first time. Uh, good to talk I to think. you. 
A, I did not, uh, uh, how do I sound, by the way? Let's get that out of the way. You sound, you sound great. Loud and clear. Yeah, you sound pretty good yourself. All right, cool. Right on, man. So, obviously, yeah, I have my thoughts on the Idaho. So, regarding this girl, uh, specifically, uh, uh, I do have my thoughts on this, and this actually breaks my heart, because isn't she... Uh, to autistic because both of my boys are autism uh, uh, on uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. One is nonverbal and the other one is uh, reverting to being nonverbal. And I'm thinking, holy, uh, if they were out there and they got misguided, is that true that she was, she kind of disappeared with somebody and she's on the spectrum? Yes. Her mother said that she is on the spectrum. She's high functioning. I functioning, yeah, like one of mine, yeah, yep, okay. It is nonetheless scary because they still don't. I mean, like she could solve the uh, answers of the universe and still not know what's going on with, you know, her personal, uh, you know, this and that and everything. Well, uh, in that personal really... relationships, right? How? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that video, I did see it. Um, now, like I said, uh, primarily I'm I'm more into uh, the Idaho case. I've uh, you know I've got a history. I'm an artist. That's that's my whole shtick, right? I'm I'm an artist, and I I help inspire people by uh, doing quirky things, this and that. That's my that's my milieu. Uh, and somehow I got pulled into the Idaho case. So this uh, I was watching a video. who were talking about Idaho, and then they mentioned this girl, and immediately I got pulled in because of my kids and they're i mean there's it's likely that i'm autistic as well though i've never been tested uh yeah i i relate to this and it really kind of so where are we at with her so she's been found and she's telling people not to worry and to let her go so where the are we with her with that case all right so here's where we're at just like i don't know i don't think you completely told us the things you think are going on with this case. I think she was playing her video games and she was talking to somebody online. And from the things I've looked at and I'm about to play something, I think that the person that she met with online was the same age as her. So I don't. 15 at time? Yeah. I'm, that's what I'm thinking now. And the evidence, we're going to find out in the next couple of days. But the fact. Well. That, go ahead. Well, um, uh, it's possible, though I'm, I'm rather kind of decent with uh, keeping track of these things. I thought that he was uh, over 21. Yes. Uh, I also heard that he was in his 20s. I did, yeah. Okay. Now, all right. Yeah, let's pursue her and everything. So, uh, uh, and I, I would love to uh, uh, interact with you with the Idaho board and everything, la-di-da, all of that. So, Paul Rubens today uh peewee herman he did yes and this uh tripped me out all day because my buddy messaged me about six hours ago and he said uh peewee herman uh paul rubens is such an inspiration and i've got a project not here to promote it though uh i'm so inspired by this man and my alxda device has been lying to me even right now minutes seconds ago I asked, is he still alive? Oh, yes, he's still alive. He is 81 years old. No, wow. he's gone. I think he was 70. So, well, okay, maybe, 
Mm, oh, yeah, well, I, I forget. I'm actually a tad bit flabbergasted, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, my project is very, very, very much inspired by Kiwi's Playhouse as well as everything else. And I've got the full box set. When my kids were born, I bought them two sets of the Kiwi Herman's Playhouse shows and everything. And I still have one. We don't live together anymore, so I still have one. I mean, this is major for me. This is kind of almost on the lines of Robin Williams uh, going. I mean, I'm going to have a moment. I think uh, I think I like Paul Rubens more than Robin Williams. If I don't I had to even compare know the two. That's just me, though. I don't know what to say. It's just um, uh, 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 oh, I did want to pop in because you gave the opportunity, and uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a whore for uh, jumping on to shows and everything. And I would have come on on camera, though. I'm literally redoing my studio right now. Nothing I have is on on YouTube because I'm working at it on on it as a, a presentation uh, for something else. I don't know if it's going to be YouTube or not. So I come on to all these shows talking about the Idaho court case uh, and law and whatnot, uh, and I show myself in a little bit quirky. So I wanted to pop in and at least say I appreciate you. I think uh, I think you've got a great program. Um, I do. Uh, I, I catch a few uh, things that um, <laughs> you did make a little bit of an error earlier. You know, things like that. Though, I mean, if we were to go head to head, you you'd freaking uh, bust me as well. I like you, man. If Thank we were you, you if, if we were going head to head, and you pointed out that I made an error, I would accept it and go on and say thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, did a did a did a. You remind me of somebody that I went to school with. I'm certain it's not you, though. The vibe, the energy is still there, so I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you calling. So with this Navarro case, they arrested the man, and I heard that he was in his 20s, too. They arrested the man, and then they released him, and the mother has is telling everybody to stay away. Why? Okay, I'm going to have to play the clip for you. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I'll let her tell you. All right. All right, here she goes. I just want to make a statement. I wrote this down. I'm going to be reading out of the statement that I made. I'm making this video to let everybody know how much I appreciate the support you have given Alicia and me over the last four years. I could never have kept going without all of your love, help, and well wishes. I can't even put into words the amount of gratitude I have for you all. But now that Alicia, now that we know Alicia is alive, I have to ask one more favor of you. I know you want answers and I do too. But the public search for answers has taken a turn for the dangerous. I have been harassed. My half my family has been attacked all over the internet. The public has gone from trying to help Alicia to doing things like trying to show up to her house and putting her safety in jeopardy. So I beg you, please, no more TikToks, no more reaching out to Alicia or to me with your speculations or questions or assumptions. This is not a movie, this is our life. This is my daughter. 
I love her more than anything in the world. And I think I have shown you that. My job has always been to protect her. And just as I never gave up on her before, I won't stand for the treatment of, of her now. For this is my statement. There is an ongoing investigation and I'm begging you to move on. All right, that was it. What do you think about that? Okay, um, this is a, a, I mean, this is a normal, natural reaction uh, in which, uh, and it's so raw. This is exactly what you would, uh, I can imagine myself saying, uh, if I if I was to implant myself into a similar situation, I would, um, I would be a little bit more aggressive, I would imagine, than Steve Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. So I don't what things are weighing on him. She doesn't have those things weighing on her, so she's able to speak freely. This makes sense. She's got a situation, and uh, I would imagine counselors, uh, imagine a team of health professionals and everything um, who were with her and her daughter before the disappearance. So there has to be a team. She must have, I would imagine, she must have. Is there anything nefarious? I don't I, I'm not presuming so, though I'm asking you, is there, are, is there a reason to presume something nefarious uh, other than the, the dude? Yeah, there's a reason for her saying this. And let me see if I can back out of here and see if this is in this article. No, it's not. What happened is the neighbors saw her and that man that got taken away were fighting in the yard. Who in that man? The mom? No, not not the mom. The daughter. Alicia. The 15-year-old Nova- at the time. Well, she's 18. No, she's 18 now. This this recently happened. Her and that man were okay. fighting in the backyard. Were fighting in the yard. And the, the neighbors saw it. And I don't know what's going on. If the police... I don't know why they haven't arrested him. I don't know what his real age is. They reported to be over 20, but I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they haven't sent in a SWAT team right now. Uh, I do know that he, she and him had moved into this apartment 12 months ago because that has been reported by the 12 neighbors. Months, 12 months ago. And when did she reappear back into society? Uh, Friday. Friday. Okay. Okay. Now, it doesn't, well, okay, this is really tricky because technically she is an adult. However, she's a special needs individual, um, and her mother was her, uh, you know, sponsor, her, uh, you know, her whatever, um, and she was caring for her, and her daughter just disappeared and is now saying, now, we've never seen, uh, as far as I'm aware, no cases in which a high-functioning autistic individual uh, chose to run away from home. So this may be a first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if I've, that's- I've heard that they have either. So is there grounds because now that she is 18, when was her birthday? Oh, that's a good question. Let me see. See, if she just turned 18 September. and now speaking, she has been, uh, 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 what is it, massage, uh, what is it, the, uh, um, she's been with her, if this is the guy, she's been with him for 
long. Mm-hmm. Now she feels he is her guardian. Therefore, she will defend for him. So she's now 18. She she was f- just turning 15 in September of 2019. So she just turned 18 this past September. So she's about to turn 19. She's about to turn 19 now. We don't know if the guy that she's with is the same guy who okay. abducted her. Yeah, we don't know that. Okay. Okay. We do okay. know okay. what we do know is that they were fighting in the mother. They were they were fighting in the yard after she got back from trying to get a driver's license, and uh, the neighbor saw that. And now the mother's saying to not talk about this case or them anymore. Well, it's a little, it's a tad bit too late for that, though. I understand she doesn't want the cameras up in her face, but we can talk about it because this is uh, this is I think this is kind of rather groundbreaking. So when did the mother learn of her? When did she return uh, to her mother is a good question. She, she hasn't returned to her mother yet. She showed up in a Montana police station. She left in Glendale, Arizona, and she showed up at the police station you know, a few days ago in Montana. So, okay, so when so did her mother become aware? Did she even contact her mother, or is her mother popping out of, the woodwork saying, Hey, this is my daughter. I saw on the news. And then how did the daughter get back to her? Uh, is it, they got into a fight at her mom's house? No, the mother, I don't even know the mother. It says that the parents have been, um, let's see. I just, we just went over this. The, she hasn't physically seen her mother yet. Okay. They, they okay. just use like online social house. media to talk like online stream talking, maybe to her parents, um, she went, she went to the Montana police station saying, Hey, my name is Alicia Navarro. I've not been abducted. I've been, you know, gone, you know, I ran away. It was my own free will, but I need to be taken off this list so I can get a driver's license so I can work. This is so meta when you think about it, because she is so smart and everything. So she's naive of certain, uh, various elements here, um, there's a lot of legal elements. There's a lot of things. There's, I'm sorry, Mom, but yeah, she was abducted. This is national news. This is major. And it also plays a part into the entire autism community because, as I said, I don't live with my boys any longer. And what if one of them disappeared? You better believe I would be. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on here. This is not just, oh, don't pay attention. Don't look over there. But, yeah. How are you going to solve your own, man? I don't understand. That's a good question. That's a good question. And the mother says that people have been harassing them. I'm trying well, to find the original video, but I can't. But I, uh, maybe it's right it here. It makes sense because uh, news channels are uh, so intrusive. Uh, and that's, uh, I mean, you uh, see, I'm a movie guy. And so I, I pull references from movies and everything. Uh, like I, I, I did a little thing in, in your chat earlier saying uh, uh, homework for you guys. Watch the movie Nightcrawler to learn how, uh, like, News Nation, you know, individuals like Banfield and everything. In that movie, it was Rene Rousseau playing the Banfield character. And you get to see what their motivations are behind the scenes. And it's, it's rather shady. Um, oh, yeah. The news channels, when, once they get a buzz and everybody wants to be the first on the scene and all of a sudden... 
boom, you've got uh, uh, 200 uh, uh, news cameras and channels in your front lawn. So I imagine that's what the mom is talking about. Please stop harassing. It, it is harassment, and there needs to be a law around it. So I am actually, that's something else I'm, I'm kind of interested in. There needs to be some kind of management around it. So at this time, freedom of speech, freedom of the press uh, allows them to jump to the scene. And I'm as upset about that, understandably so. Also, but don't understand how law enforcement works there in Montana. I guarantee you in Texas, there would have been the Texas Rangers would have been there and they would ask questions later. And, and so, I mean, ultimately, freedom of the press, uh, there's a lot of constitutional rights that, uh, 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 that need to be challenged now in our modern social media age. Because it's not how it was. And I watched the movie uh, Network uh, for the first time in 30 years of uh, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And you see, uh, if it bleeds, it leads, okay? And our modern rules need to be reevaluated. And that goes for the Idaho case as well. Uh, yeah, they were having problems with uh, when it bleeds. If it bleeds, it leads. That's something that came out in the 1970s, and uh, it's wor- it's a yeah. hundred times worse than that now because of the the algorithms. I appreciate you calling. I'm going to let you go so I can move on with the rest of the show. But I have yeah, this sounds good, man. And uh, let's uh, let's uh, uh, you know uh, keep Paul Rubens in our heart and everything. And um, and the Idaho, I would love to uh, connect with you again. And also. Uh, I'll put your email in the chat because I want to. I want to see if we actually do know each other. So thank you. I appreciate you. You've got an awesome channel. Your chat kicks ass, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you calling. Thank you. Bye bye. Putting my email in the chat. There you go. I'm going to play this video to get everybody caught up. Hopefully it shows a video of her at police department. Sona teen missing since 2019 was heard by a neighbor telling the man she was living with, quote, I will go back. This before she reappeared at a Montana police station earlier this week. In an interview published Friday, Garrett Smith told the New York Post that he heard Alicia Navarro yelling at a man estimated to be in his 20s from inside their apartment complex in Haver, Montana. Smith says this was the day before she turned herself in. Authorities announced during a press conference on Wednesday that Navarro, who was 14, when she disappeared from her Glendale, Arizona home in September of 2019, had reported to a police station in Montana, close to the Canadian border. She is by all accounts safe, she is by all accounts healthy, and she is by all accounts happy. She, by all accounts, went on her own free will. Um, She is not in any kind of trouble. She's not facing any kind of charges. She is not being held anywhere. She is coming and going at her own free will, and she has been extremely cooperative with not only our folks, but our federal partners as well. According to Fox 10 Phoenix, officials said that Navarro identified herself and asked for help getting off a missing juvenile list. The Post reported that this was in order to obtain a driver's license and start living a normal life. Smith told the outlet that he had seen the teen and the identified man around quite often, but only spoke to Navarro for the first time just days before she appeared at the Montana police station.
At the time, he said that she was looking for her uncle near a post office and recalled that she was asking for directions and looked scared. Per the Post, Smith said that Navarro and the man had been residents of their Haver apartment at least since he moved in last year, but it is unknown how long exactly they had been living there. According to the Glendale Police Department, Navarro's disappearance and reappearance remain under investigation. All right, and there you have it. Wake up. All right. What jacket? I missed a jacket, but I'm not going to replay the video. All right. I'm trying to go to the article about the teen, the mother saying that they were being harassed. The family was being harassed by these online sleuthers. Okay, I'm going to read some comments here from this news story, as I like to do. I think her mom is right, and the girl had an online romance. She wouldn't be the first nor the last teen to sneak out to meet up with her online boyfriend and disappear. At the wrong button. Sadly, no matter how many horror stories you hear about it, parents seem helpless to protect their children from online predators. I believe it is partly because as a society, we consider kids being online as a normal thing to do. And like in the past where reading a diary was considered offensive, so now is watching what they do online. Why was the man living there in handcuffs? They arrested him and took him back, brought him back. Happy she's alive and seems to be well. I wonder if she's been with a boyfriend or something was wrong at the home and she didn't slash couldn't stay. She doesn't look happy. In fact, she has a look of someone that's been through a tragic events. And this is the final one I'll read. I suspect that she was targeted by an older man and has been living with him for the past four years. As my dad used to say, 15 will get you 20. All right. I'm going to continue. Regardless of what her mother says, I'm not going to be calling her and asking her to talk to me, but I'm damn sure going to continue to follow this story. All right. So Lori Vallow, Doomsday Mom, got locked up. So here's what I want to do. I want to play the video I got here. Uh, I want to see the judge read it, and I want to see her face as she gets it. Life in prison, everybody. Include then with my own review of the matter and then pronounced sentence. Uh, Ms. Vallow, based on the jury's verdict of guilty in this case, it is the judgment of this court that you're guilty of the following counts of the amended indictment. Count one, conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tylee Ryan and grand theft by deception. Count two, first degree murder of Tylee Ryan. Count three, conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow and grand theft by deception. Count four, first degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow. Count five, conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tamara, Tammy, Daybell, and count seven, grand theft. We've carefully reviewed the record of this case, beginning with your prior criminal history. Very notably, you're 50 years old. These are the first criminal convictions you've ever had. 
I will note, however, in addition to these convictions, you have two additional conspiracy to commit first-degree murder cases pending in Arizona. And it's somewhat incredible in this case that uh, seeing you've gone from no criminal history in your life to now having been convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and you continue to face more additional counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in another state. I've looked at the recommendations in the pre-sentence investigation report. I do want to say this. It looks like I'm getting more emotion from her lawyers knowing that they failed than I am from her knowing that she's going to go away for life. Me, I can't imagine doing anything like that to my kid. But if I did, I'd be pissed if I didn't get the death penalty. It ultimately recommends a prison sentence stating, quote, incarceration under the custody of the Idaho Board of Correction. Normally, the court would have some additional information to rely on in fashioning its sentence, including the benefit of recommendations based on a gain evaluation, substance abuse report, mental health review, and other reports. However, you elected not to cooperate with the pre-sentence investigation. As I would note on page 23 of the pre-sentence investigation report, it states, quote, Lori Vallow Daybell intends to remain silent during the pre-sentence investigation process. She has the packet, but does not intend to answer any questions of evaluators or investigators. No attempts were made to complete the court. I'm not going to play this whole thing because it's 30 minutes long. I hope the judge isn't speaking that whole time, but I see the part where she stands up and she talks, and that's what I really want to get to, guys. Court ordered screenings due to her refusal. So why should people join us on August 1st? We should join. Who the hell is this guy, Tony? It was your choice to not cooperate in the pre-sentence investigation, but it left me without some additional information that potentially could have been mitigating in your case. And as I proceed with the sentencing, I'll note those deficiencies in the information I normally would have in a pre-sentence investigation report. As has been mentioned by both sides here, the court has to consider certain sentencing objectives when I sentence somebody, and these are set out in cases including State versus Two Hill, which is a Court of Appeals case, 103 Idaho 565, and it's been adopted by our Supreme Court as well. And I have to consider four main objectives. Number one, the protection of society, which is the primary objective. Two, deterrence of the individual and public generally three, possibility of rehabilitation, and four, punishment or retribution for wrongdoing. That states, or case states, moreover, it's clear as a matter of policy in Idaho, the primary consideration is she talked before good order this? and protection of society. All other factors must be subservient to that end. I've also reviewed and considered the criteria set forth in an Idaho statute, 192521, on the question of whether or not you should be confined to prison and to what extent. That statute sets out a variety of factors I have to consider in weighing whether uh, a long prison term here would be appropriate. Some of the attorneys cited already to some of the provisions of that statute, and again, it talks about the primary consideration of the protection of society and also talks about the impact on the victim, the possibility of risk reduction I sat rehabilitation there while she... and deterrence are also to be considered. 
There are some factors laid out in that statute that are not necessarily controlling, but weigh in favor against either imprisonment or in this case where imprisonment's required an extensive imprisonment term. Some of those factors under part two of the statute is the defendant's criminal conduct neither caused nor threatened harm, which is clearly not the case here. That the defendant did not contemplate the conduct would cause or threaten harm. Again, that would not apply here. She thought she was slaying demons. If I'm a judge giving my statement, I'm not going to go into all the particulars. They don't do that here in Texas. The defendant's criminogenic needs indicate the defendant will benefit from supervision and treatment in the community. That's unavailable as community treatment can't occur with a minimum prison sentence required here. Another factor where there are substantial grounds tending to excuse or justify the defendant's criminal conduct, though failing to establish a defense. I don't find those apply given the facts of this case. Other factors, the victim of the defendant's criminal conduct induced or facilitated the commission of the crime. That did not occur here. Another part talks about compensation, which I don't find would be appropriate here other than on the grand theft charge. Part G, the defendant has no history of prior delinquency or criminal activity or has led a law-abiding life for a substantial period of time before the commission of the present crime. That is the single most mitigating factor I see in this case. Uh, again, it's unbelievable that at your age... Oh. The homeless problem is getting worse. Criminal history now. You sit here convicted of the most serious charges. I also have to consider whether the criminal conduct was the result of circumstances unlikely to recur. All right. I'm Based on the evidence in this case in particular, in sentencing and not sitting through the evidence as I did here. Having considered all of the evidence that I saw at trial along with the jurors, it's been a difficult task for me to narrow down and articulate all the aggravating factors because really there are so many here. Murder is the most serious offense. And the most unimaginable type of murder is to have a mother murdering her own children. And that's exactly what you did. You were involved in and guilty of conspiring to murder another group of children's mother, Tammy Daybell, who had children of her own. And despite the jury convicting you with overwhelming evidence, you still sit here before the court today and said you didn't do it. You came here to East Idaho, where I spent my life, and moved here from another place already with plans in progress to make your children disappear. The evidence. All right, I do want to say this to, uh, hold on, the Richard. I know nothing of Lori Vallow or whatever justice for the victims is always my motto. Richard, you, you have to watch Dateline or the podcast. Go to the Dateline podcast and look up the... Lori Vallow case, you got to hear it. It's crazy all the stuff that this woman did. There's twists and turns, and I highly recommend you check that out. Seriously, it's one of the craziest crimes I've ever heard of, period, anywhere. For that out of trial, you removed your children from their home in Arizona, alienated them from friends and family, got rid of JJ's service dog. You moved to Rexford, a community where you could find a thousand random families to take your children, and you brought them here to murder them. You had so many other options. You could have gotten divorced. You could have found someone to take care of those kids. But as the state was able to prove a trial, you chose the most evil and destructive path possible. You killed those children, according to the state's theory, and I believe it, to remove them as obstacles and to profit financially. You justified all of this by going down a bizarre religious rabbit hole, and clearly you are still down there. While you were enjoying your new life in Hawaii, countless law enforcement officers, family members, and volunteers were searching for your children. And I don't think to this day you have any remorse for the effort and heartache you caused for others who looked for your children when you knew where they were and knew they were dead. They were found dead, burned, mutilated, and dismembered, and buried like animals. After you knew they were dead, you collected public-funded assistance payments meant for them, and that was blood money you kept for yourself. And that's the grand theft charge you've been convicted of. Your sister, your son, talked to you, begged with you while you were in the jail during phone calls I heard at trial, and those were very sad and difficult calls to hear, and you didn't provide any assistance or comfort to them. During the trial, when the evidence came out about how these children were found in the state they were in, you wanted to be excused and not have to watch the evidence, and we're fine to let all the other people in the courtroom, including the jurors, have to bear through that. However, I ruled that you did have to sit and watch and see the result of your heinous crimes. The jurors in your case fulfilled their duty admirably. All 18 jurors we had because we had alternates. I'm playing through his fast, and I'm going to play her statements after his. I found the, 
I found the clip for that. Went through the entire trial and faithfully fulfilled all their obligations and all the instructions. So we were able to get impartial jurors who weren't already tainted by pretrial publicity to decide your case. And I do thank the jurors publicly for the service they rendered. Those jurors I noted during the trial were very good at keeping their motions in check and keeping stone-faced as they're supposed to do and be objective until the case is done and submitted. However, I did note at certain times during the trial, such as when there were videos and pictures shown of you in Hawaii at this time frame when JJ and Tylee were lying in shallow graves, the disgust on the faces of those jurors was evident and shocking revelations about what happened here just kept coming through the trial. The crime scene was a horrific thing to have to review. And there's images that I will never get out of my mind. And I'm just looking at the pictures, law enforcement officers who had to deal with the aftermath of what you did, I'm sure were traumatized. And I know it was traumatic as well for the jurors who had to sit through and see the photographs of these dead and mutilated and buried children. For those people who loved and cared about JJ and Tylee and Tammy Daybell, to have to see those photographs of them through trial with their dead and desecrated bodies must have been devastating. Tammy Daybell was murdered as a result of your conspiracy. She was by all accounts a healthy, happy mother and wife through a lot of her life. And you were out shopping for wedding rings to marry her husband while she was still alive. You were planning a wedding to her husband while she was still alive. You haven't shown any remorse for any of those actions. And she ended up being murdered, buried, had to be disinterred later so an autopsy could be performed in order to prove the evidence of what you had done. She didn't deserve any of that. You took her life away. You destroyed that family, fractured it to the point where in the information I've had through the PSI, there are relationships that will probably never be mended that have rippled as a result of what's happened. JJ and Kylie, of course, seven years old, 16 years old, were separate people whose lives were cut way too short because of you. Never got to grow up and be adults. The family and friends who have provided their impact statements, of course, have stated it better than I could about who they were. And it is a loss for everyone that you took them away from this world. And it is the most shocking thing, really, I can imagine, is that a mother killed her own children. And you simply have no remorse for it. Even sitting here today, there's no remorse for what you did. After all of this evidence through trial, you haven't shown any remorse. You haven't said you're sorry. You haven't done anything to seek leniency from this court. There's been a lot of people during trial and here who explain the devastation you're responsible for. And you forever altered the lives not in a good way for many, many people, destroying family relationships, taking people away that were loved, cared for, and needed. You may not believe to this day that you've done anything wrong and you still may think you're justified by your religious beliefs for what happened here. I'm not here to judge that, but I don't believe that any God in any religion would want to have, have this happen, what happened here. And your crimes are heinous and egregious, and that alone can constitute a major aggravating factor that requires me to impose a serious length of incarceration. So after weighing all those factors, I need to an aggravation. I find that the sentences I'm about to impose will serve the interest of justice by, number one, preventing you from ever doing this again, that they will not depreciate the seriousness of your crimes, will punish you appropriately, and will serve to deter both you and others. So that concludes the aggravating factors the court considered. At this time, then, I am prepared to pronounce sentence. Mr. Thomas, Mr. Archibald, and defendant, would you please rise for the pronouncement of sentence? Oh. We got to hear that at regular speed, guys. So we're going to hear a sentence, and then we're going to listen to her statement she made. She looks like a damn orange candy cane all right here we go based on all the relevant circumstances including the evidence and recommendations presented in court today it's the judgment of this court miss fallow you'll be sentenced as follows i'll first note i'm going to take up the counts out of order as i want to address the substantive murder sentences first so on count two the charge you were convicted of, the, the first-degree murder of Tylee Ryan. Meet your next pillow. Damn it. Why do we Damn make our pillow in the shape of a cube? I'll tell you. You are sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence of fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. On count four, the charge of the first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow. 
you are sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinate life imprisonment sentence with no possibility of parole. I'll next address the three conspiracy counts you've been convicted of and note under Idaho Code 1817-01, the punishment for those crimes is the same as the underlying offenses you combine to commit. One of the offenses you combine to commit was first degree murder, so those may be punishable also by imprisonment for life. When I look at what the appropriate sentences should be for the conspiracy charges, at first I wondered if they should be as long of a term or serious as the substantive murder charges. However, what I've concluded is that these conspiracy convictions merit the same grave punishment for several reasons. First, the conspiracies in which you engaged in have had far-reaching impacts on many people besides the deceased victims. And with what the courts heard, I am convinced that the conspiracy charges also merit the same serious sentence. So on count one, the conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tylee Ryan and grand theft by deception, you're sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence to fixed determinate term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. On count three, the conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow and grand theft by deception you're sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinant term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. And on count five, the conspiracy to commit the first degree murder of Tamara Tammy Daybell, you're sentenced to the custody of the State Board of Corrections to serve the maximum allowed sentence, a fixed determinant term of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. Finally, the court will address count seven, which is the charge of grand theft. On that charge, court is going to sentence you to a fixed determinate term of five years of prison, followed by an indeterminate term of five years of prison for a total 10-year term of imprisonment on the grand theft. Court will next consider whether sentences should be imposed consecutively or concurrently. I generally don't, I'm a pragmatic person and I've struggled with the point of a consecutive sentence when in Idaho a life sentence is just that, a life sentence without parole. And I've thought it through. However, when I looked at this case and the more I thought about it, I've determined that because there are three separate murders with three separate victims that occurred at three separate times, then running counts concurrently would not serve the interests of justice because those crimes all need to be taken into account separately and distinctly and individually. And you need to be held accountable separately for each of the three murders. So on those counts, the court will run consecutively the count two murder of Tylee Ryan, consecutive to count four, the murder of Joshua Jackson Vallow, and count five will run consecutive to count two and four, the conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tamara Tammy. Well, it's about 90 years, 30, 30, and 30? 
Abel. So three consecutive life terms of prison. The remaining counts will be concurrent. All right. Does anything after that really matter? All right. Let's go to what she said. Let's go to her statements, guys. And this is straight from the Zoom. Straight recorded from the Zoom. Shouldn't be any commercials on here. This, These are Lori Daybell's statements. Kylie has visited me. She is happy and very busy. Kylie is free now from all the pains of her life. Kylie suffered horrible physical pain her whole life. I sat with Kylie in the hospital year after year after year while she screamed in pain when the morphine wasn't even enough to take away the pain of her pancreatitis. I sat there while she cried and I held back her hair while she threw up. And I am the only person on this earth who knows how much Tylee suffered in her life. She had pain every single day. She never felt good. Her body did not work right. And I don't know if that was from complications from me dying while she was being born or something else, but she had a very difficult life. She was sexually abused by her own biological father since she was three years old. And she was forced by family court to go visit him for 10 years against her will. I fought for her in court. I protected her. I tried to protect her with my whole life. I tried to protect her. I worried about her every single day. Tylee had to get her GED because she couldn't go to school every day because she never felt good. She felt sick. Nobody knows this because Tylee, like myself, tries to put on a good front, tries to be a happy person, tries to have hope in life, tries to know that she's here for a purpose and that she has an eternal purpose to be on this earth. But I never stopped worrying about her. One of the times that Tylee came to me as a spirit after she died, she said, she commanded me and she said to me, stop worrying, mom. We are fine. She knows how I worry and how I miss her. The first time JJ. Wow, this is hard to listen to. The judge looks like he's going to puke. Oh, my God. They visited me after he passed away. He put his arm around me and he said to me, you didn't do anything wrong, mom. I love you. And I know you loved me every minute of my life. JJ, Joshua Jackson, was an adult spirit. And he was very, very tall when he put his arm around me. He is busy. He is engaged. He has jobs that he does there. And he is happy where he is. His life was short. But JJ's life was meaningful. JJ was a wonderful person and touched the lives of everyone. And I adored him every minute of his life. My eternal friend, Tammy Daybell, has visited me on several occasions. She came to bring me peace and comfort. And I know that she is extremely busy helping her family, especially her children and grandchildren. And I have a great love for Tammy. 
My beautiful children, Tylee Ashlyn and Joshua Jackson, rest safely this day in the arms of Jesus. My wonderful friend, Tammy Daybell, rests safely this day in the arms of Jesus. And I look forward to the day when we are all reunited and I too will rest with them in the arms of my Jesus. I guess that's it, guys. Oh, man. All right. So I don't know how many of you guys listened to my show on Saturday. Um, I talked about this case. I got a little bit more I'm going to talk about. It's about a family that decided they were going to live off grid and just died and was mummified in the mountains. I'm going to go ahead and talk about some new updates on this. Um, For those of you... They miss a radio show that we do live. If you're in Discord, which is free, by the way, you know, you can listen to it again. We have it in Discord to where you can replay it. Let me go over this. Rebecca Vance had always been a private person, staying off social media, not one to trust others so easily. After the pandemic forced her to isolate with her teenage son in their Colorado Springs, Colorado apartment, She continued to homeschool him when classes reopened. Then, last summer, Vance carried out a vision with her son and her sister, Christine, to live off the grid in the wilderness, disconnected from a society of which she had grown increasingly fearful. I can definitely see Rebecca thinking that it was going to be better. It was going to better their lives, Desiree McDonald. A friend and former co-worker said Friday, adding... I now know that they didn't prepare enough ahead of time. I just wish I would have known. Friends and loved ones of the sisters said they were stunned to learn this week that officials in rural Gunson County had identified three partially mummified bodies discovered earlier this month as Rebecca Vance, 42, Christine Vance, 41, and Rebecca's son, 14, who was not publicly named because of his age. A hiker found one of the decomposed bodies at a remote cabin near the Gold Creek Compound in Gunson National Forest, Gunson County Coroner Michael Barnes said two of the bodies were inside of a tent. You know, I had somebody I used to work for, and he always said, how does somebody die in the wilderness? Somebody would say, oh, well, they die of not having food. He says, no, that's not it. And he says, well, they die of... um, exposure and he said no that's not it he said there's really only one way somebody can die in a forest and that is of shame any modern forest that you're in all you would have to do is turn back around and walk out and go to help i submit to you they died of shame barnes said let's see what is this video of Let's check it out real quick. I don't think it relates. Stop. stop. How does it feel? Actually, maybe I will. Five minutes. No. Barnes said it appeared that the group was building a lean-to type shelter, a roof structure generally made from logs and used to protect from other elements. It is unknown exactly when they had nothing. You could have survived with God almighty, like $50 worth of gear. It is unknown exactly when they died. Barnes said in an email, I presume sometime during the winter, he said, adding that the cause of death may have been related 
to exposure to cold, winter, and malnutrition. Barnes said carbon dioxide poisoning may also have been at play since it appeared that they were burning tinder and empty soup cans inside their tent for heat. Dental records and fingerprints were used to help identify the bodies. An official cause of death is pending the results of a toxicology report. I'm going to leave it there. But yeah. The the sister is devastated. Her name is Jar. She said this. She said she's struggling. What else she could have done? What else she could have told her stepsisters and sees what happened to them as a cautionary tale? If you think you can go live off the grid and do it just by watching YouTube and the internet think twice, you need experience to experience it first, she said. She says they were not crazy. They were very loved, but they were very misguided. You know, one of the things the sister has said regarding this is she said that uh, her and her husband had some land out there in Colorado, you know, like a couple acres right by the house. They had isolated land and they had a camper on it. They're like, you can go. Uh, why don't you try it first? You're welcome to this land. You're welcome to try. It. You're welcome to that RV. And they said, no, we want to do it on our own. They're dead now. And I feel really bad for that 14 year old who didn't know any different. I wonder who died first. I hope he wasn't the last. I hope he wasn't because that would have been horrible. He wouldn't have known what to do. All right, I got this story here. This is very devastating. I played a video last, was it Saturday we did a show? And on that show, a police officer was charged with a misdemeanor for parking his car on a railroad track, handcuffing a woman back in there for a misdemeanor. And, oh, the train is coming, and he runs away, and she gets hit by a freaking train in the car. Well, guys, I didn't think I would ever see anything worse than that. But how about this? This is a body cam of a man in Colorado being tased by a deputy right in front of an oncoming car. And guess what? He got hit. Let's check this video out, guys. We're seeing the moment-by-moment tragic highway chase that turned deadly. The reason why I'm stopping you is your registration's expired. Newly released body cam video provided by a family attorney shows 28-year-old Brent Thompson pulled over in February for expired registration. He gives Larimer County Sheriff's deputies a fake name. Then the traffic stop takes a turn. Did you give me the right name? Yeah. What's your name? Jacob Todd Jones. Okay. Why don't you give me the right name? It is the right name. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Brent, I know. Um, so right now you're under arrest. Stop it, Stop! the moment before oh, impact but once my. thompson was tased and fell onto the highway he was run over by an oncoming suv his lifeless body handcuffed and dragged out of further harm's way cpr is performed thompson is later pronounced dead at a hospital this man took the responsibility to pull a trigger capacitate my kid for five seconds look downstream 
There's a car coming. The family wants the deputy, Lorenzo Lujan, to face criminal charges, but after a months-long investigation, the DA's office determined no crime was committed. And if this officer truly was concerned about uh, preventing some kind of accident, um, he would not have tasered this young man in the middle of a very busy interstate. Uh, the officer would have done something to prevent this accident from happening. We reached out to the Larimer County Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office. Neither are commenting further at this time. But in a video statement, the sheriff defended the deputy. All right. I do want to say this for anybody that's being arrested. Uh, it doesn't matter what your rights are. The police can kill you. So whether or not, whatever your rights are, just do what the police say and then call your lawyer afterwards. And then you deal with the rights. And that's not excusing what this police officer did. But uh, in real world, people can die. Things happen and people die. It's not about rights. These actions. District Attorney Gordon McLaughlin determined that the deputy was legally justified in his attempt to stop this suspect from endangering the lives of innocent motorists. The deputy was forced to make a choice. Act and try to stop the suspect or stand by passively and just hope no innocent people got hurt. A sheriff's internal investigation also determined the officer's actions were within policy. A search warrant later revealed drugs and a gun were in the vehicle. The gun belonged to Thompson's father, according to the DA's report. According to the attorney, the family plans to file a civil lawsuit against the sheriff's office. Tom? Thanks for watching. And none of us heard about this. I didn't hear about this until I, I heard about this, but this happened a while back and, you know, we didn't hear about it when it was new because it doesn't go in the news because it's all controlled. I don't know, I sound like a lunatic. Somebody's going to make a folk song about me, but it's true. All right, guys, uh, here's a lot. Here's our latest round of murder suicides going on. Husband and wife are dead after what appears to be a murder-suicide in Milfenburg, according to the Milfenburg Police. A preliminary investigation in indicates that the U.S. Air Force veteran Jeffrey Scott, 63, killed his wife, local author and life coach. Wow. Tharafa Winrich, 64. Before he died by suicide, the incident occurred at their home at 168th Scottsdale Drive, a two-story farmhouse, two-story frame house located at the end of a cul-de-sac. We will not be issuing any updates until we receive the coroner's report reports out of respect for the family. The couple lived together at home. No one else was involved. There is no danger to the public, the police said. He was a 78 graduate, graduate of Milfenburg High School, retired last year after serving the military for 42 years. That's a long time. He must have been an officer. In all, he spent 22 years Air Force active duty, 8 years Civil Service Air Force, 12 years Civil Service with the Navy, and 17 years in the Army as a contractor. He retired from the rank of Senior Master Sergeant in 01 and then retired in 2022 as a Civil Service employee with the Air Force, as the night shift fueled supervisor in the islands of Oahu, Hawaii. Well, this is sad. 
His wife, who grew up in Singapore and lived in Canada for 30 years, is a featured author in 20 Lives Ignited and how 20 women over 60... I think this is a misprint. Oh, how 20 women over 60 are creating success on their own terms. Published by Aurora Coriolis Publishing, where she recounts her own journey to overcome personal and professional obstacles. She was scheduled for an author event about female empowerment at the public library for Union County in Lewisburg on Thursday. She wasn't able to make it. In the book, she described a history of domestic violence and cheating partners in previous relationships. 14 years ago on her 50th birthday, she vacationed in Hawaii. It was there that she met her husband and she wrote in the book published last year. I felt drawn to him in a way I couldn't explain. I thought I prayed for this. Could this be it? He was, he has great manners and we have fun together. Did I manifest a life partner? Turns out I did. We dated long distance for a year, then got engaged after 30 years in Canada. I made the move to Hawaii where I still live in a happy and healthy marriage. I'm going to leave it there, guys. This is very sad, and this isn't the only one. Murder, suicide is never good. If you have mental health, call someone. Talk to them. Uh, Check this out. NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson speaks out after murder, suicide of in-laws. Jimmy Johnson speaking up about a recent tragedy befalling his family. The seven-time Cup Series champion lost three of his in-laws last month in what authorities believe is a murder-suicide, Jack and Terry Lynn Janway. How did he lose three of them? As well as their young grandson, Dalton, were found dead. Oh, June 27th in an Oklahoma home. Our family is devastated by the profound loss of Lynn, Jack, and Dalton. He wrote on Friday, we have been humbled by the outpouring of love and support during this unthinkably sad time and remain grateful for all of your compassion. The bodies were discovered at Muskogee home. Wow. That's not far from where I'm at. After a woman dialed 911 to report a gun-related disturbance, police enter the house and find Jack Janeway, 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 69, dead in the hallway. They then heard a gunshot before coming upon the bodies of Terry Lynn, Janeway, 68, and Dalton, 11. Muskogee police spokesman said at the time that investigators believe Terry Lynn Janeway fatally shot her husband and grandson before taking her own life. Police body cam footage captured the moment when officers entered the home and discovered Jack Janeway dead under a blanket. NASCAR issued a statement of sympathy. Murder of Fort Myers, murder suicide victim shooting speaks out. We have the video right here. Three kids are without their mother after this woman, Takesha Best, was shot to death at her home on William Street in Fort Myers. Now we're hearing from the family of Best. On Saturday, Fort Myers police told us that two people were dead after what looked to be a murder-suicide. Now the family of Takesha, of Takesha is talking to us, and Wing News reporter Annalise Araola joins us now live. Annalise, what does the family have to say about what happened to her? Russ, the mom of three's family, told me that they think her ex-boyfriend was watching the house early on Saturday morning, waiting for her to get home. Then when she and some friends went to the back porch, he approached her in the dark. They say that after some words, he pulled out a gun and started shooting. This is Takesha Best. 
Her family told me she was a loving mother who knew the value of hard work. She was very outgoing, fun, and she loved her kid. She worked with me over five years, and she was a very hard worker. Tracy Best is Takesha's mom. She said her daughter was with friends sitting on the back porch of the home they shared in this Fort Myers neighborhood around 3 a.m. Saturday morning when her ex-boyfriend came by. I know they said, he said, you tried me and I'm not going to, you're not going to try me again. So and that when he just shot him. First responders rushed Takesha Best to the hospital where she died. The family told me she was shot in the chest and that soon after, the ex-boyfriend killed himself. Fort Myers police will not confirm the man's identity. The department will only say a man was found dead not far from the crime scene of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The Best family says he took the easy way out. I didn't want him to die. I want him to sit in prison for the rest of his life and think about what he did to my daughter and to her kids that he knew all day life. The victim's uncle told me that. Well, he's sitting not for the rest of his life, but for a very long time, unalive, thinking about what he did. No doubt. Check this out. Mother charged with murder over a home birth will face trial. This is horrifying. Got this three hours ago. Kelsey Carpenter's newborn died shortly after her home birth. The court said the case against her meets the prosecution's threshold by the thinnest of margins early this month. A first hearing took place for a mother who faces homicide and felony child abuse charges for a November 2020 home birth that ended in her newborn's tragic death. And on Friday, California appeals court denied a petition that the woman, Kelsey Carpenter, and her legal team filed to have the charges against her dismissed. They argued that she being improperly targeted for her decision to have a home birth and cited AB 2223, California law that prohibits people from being charged for behaviors during pregnancy that could result in abortion or prenatal loss. In the court's decision, a panel of three judges wrote that the prosecution's team met the already low threshold to move forward with this case against Carpenter by the thinnest of margins. In 2022, Carpenter, now 33, went into labor early and had a home birth that ended in the death of her newborn, Kiara. Carpenter has said she chose to give birth in a home because she feared her baby would have been taken from her by the state if she had a hospital birth due to her substance abuse. Oh, my. Carpenter had already lost custody for her first two children when they tested positive for drugs in the hospital. Here's another thing, guys. Uh, She endangered this child not only because of her substance abuse, but from her substance abuse, she should have known that it was risky that she should have had the baby at the hospital, whether it's taken away from her or not, there's medical personnel that can care for the needs of a baby born from a mother as substance abuse. So she gives it a death penalty. I don't want my baby taken away from me. So she chooses for a baby to be taken away from her. I want to know what you think about this. I'm going to continue here. See what she said. In text, uh, In text messages sent by Carpenter prior to the birth, which the court references in his decision, Carpenter wrote, I am not losing my kids, and that's what will happen if I go to the hospital. All in caps, not allowed in our chat room, by golly. Following Kiara's tragic death, instead of being offered support services to grieve the loss of her baby, 
Carpenter was charged in 2021 with homicide and felony child abuse. Together, these charges are punishable with up to two decades in prison. Carpenter has been in jail since February when she missed a hearing because she checked herself into rehab. But Malthini Vermoretti, a legal fellow at Pregnancy Justice working on Carpenter's case, said on Monday that some aspects of the decision are cause for hope. Specifically, the court has prohibited prosecutors from making substance use and the choice to have a home birth from being the basis of your prosecution, which she called an important clarification of the law for similar cases going forward. All right, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but you can check it out yourself. I'm reading the chat right now. All right. Everybody, DJ Electra's birthday is on Thursday, but I thought it was Tuesday, but now it's Thursday. Slain woman found near Texas Highway 44 years ago, cops say. Now she's been identified. The body of a slain woman has been identified nearly half a century after it was discovered. The the case dates back to the summer of 79 when a deceased woman was found along the highway. At the time, officials could not determine her identity but believed the woman to be between 16 and 40. Wow. A subsequent investigation into her death proved unsuccessful, but five years later in 84, self-proclaimed serial killer Henry Lee Lucas confessed to the murder. Then her case remained cold for 35 years. Police took another crack at 2019 when they had the woman's grave exhumed in order to collect DNA. Over the next several years, it was determined that the genetic material obtained from the grave was not enough to provide an identification. Wow. They had her body in a grave and they did not have enough, her whole body, and they couldn't get any genetic material, but in Idaho... Some jackass touches the brass button on a knife sheath, just a few epithelial cells, and they're able to test it twice. There's a bag of Coke in the White House, and there's not a fingerprint or DNA on it. It's a miracle. They can't find anything. They have a whole body here, and they can't find DNA. All right, a second, uh, this, wow, this is crazy. Again, so in 2019, they had the woman's grave exhumed in order to collect DNA samples. It was determined that the genetic material obtained from the grave was not enough to produce, to provide an identification. But there's a different genealogy, genealogy company in Texas, again, we're going genealogy, that offered to assist the case and was sent samples for testing. Still a full DNA profile of the woman. They couldn't get it. But then they exhumed the grave again in 2022, and they got more DNA samples. But this, this year, they obtained a complete DNA profile, and the woman's family tree was established, which finally allowed police to determine her identity. The woman's name was... Kathy Ann Smith, she'd been born on July 19th, 1956. She had a different birth name and had been adopted at a young age. The family's been notified of the location of her remains. She was 22 years old, almost 23 at the time of her murder. 
Seminole County detective accused of warning suspect in undercover operations. Did you guys hear about this? I was blown away. All right. A Seminole County detective was arrested on Thursday after being accused of tipping off suspects during undercover investigations. A detective with the sheriff's office, uh, Crimes Against Children's Unit, he worked there since 2015, covertly warned suspects who were planning to travel to meet minors for sex during um, operations conducted between December 2nd and 3rd of 2022, and between February 3rd and 4th of 2023. These minors were actually other undercover detectives using personas, so no real children were involved. A release from the sheriff's office explains, however, that he warned his warnings allowed suspects to avoid arrest and potentially put other detectives in harm's way and other children. He was suspended on April 21st after the agency began a criminal investigation into his actions. So, man, so what did he do exactly? He texted the guys they were doing the sting on who were going to meet the children and get arrested. He texted them this, don't show up and erase all the all the messages from your phone. It's a setup. What happens to him? Well, $65,000 uh, bond. He faces five counts of unlawful use of a two-way communications device, five counts of disclosure, use of confidential criminal justice information, five counts of unlawful use of a computer, network or electronic device resulting in the interruption of a governmental operation. As soon as he was arrested, he was fired. Can you believe this? How about this? If you have, you guys are getting bored. How about this one? Illegal medical lab containing bioengineered mice and infectious agents, including HIV and herpes discovered in California. Right. An illegal medical lab was discovered by investigators in a warehouse in Fresno, California. The lab was full of bioengineered mice and samples of diseases like uh, COVID-19, HIV, and herpes. Roughly 1,000 mice were found. Nearly 200 were already dead. The rest were euthanized. Contained nearly 1,000 bioengineered mice. Improperly stored tissue samples were tested and discovered to contain infectious diseases. Who wants to bet the government's involved in this? This is an unusual situation. I've been in government for 25 years. I've never seen anything like this, said the city manager. The makeshift lab contained roughly 30 refrigerators and freezers, some of which were non-operational, as well as incubators, medical testing supplies, and hundreds of mice, several diseases. I'm glad I don't live in California. Man, I sure couldn't eat a burrito in California after hearing something like this. Several disease samples tested from the lab included infectious agents like herpes, corona, E. coli, malaria. Wang Zlin a representative of the company operating the lab, Prestige Biotech, told investigators that the mice inside the warehouse have been genetically engineered to catch and spread COVID. Wow. So, I don't know. Wang Zin, Wang Sholin, sure sounds like uh, Chinese. Wow. 
The warehouse came under investigation in March after a local code enforcement officer discovered a garden hose attached to a back wall of the building as official search. Medical devices that appeared to have been created on site, such as COVID-19 and pregnancy tests, were also discovered. Nice. Certain rooms of the warehouse were found to contain several vessels of liquid that and various apparatuses, NBC reported court documents related to the incident. They're going to keep this one on the down low. Fresno County public health staff also observed blood, tissue, and other bodily fluid samples and serums, and thousands of vials of unlabeled fluids and suspected biological material. What is this like? Fauci's garage. Nearly 8,000 of the mice found inside the warehouse were euthanized by officials. An additional approximately 175 mice were already dead when they discovered. Guys, the scary part of this is this place wouldn't be operating if it wasn't making money. There were over 800 different chemicals on site in different bottles of different acids. Crone uh, 4 reported the assistant director of the Fresno County Department of Public Health, Joe Prado, said, unfortunately, a lot of these are being categorized under unknown chemicals. All the biohazard material within the lab has been destroyed as of July 7th, and I'm sure the whole story is going to get swept under. Although an investigation into the lab's origins and activity remains ongoing. Well, good. Since that's really where the story goes, let's read the comment section, shall we? And then we're going to kick it. This should be a major national news story. So many questions. What laws are at play here both state and national what degree of testing occurred to get to the bottom of what was going on before samples were destroyed who was behind it and what investigations were set into motion to determine where the money came from to buy this equipment and finance this dangerous stuff we really need to see photographs of what was going on to have a better sense of how sophisticated the operation was how many people were involved how long had it been going on are people under arrest this smells like a huge story Mark says this, I'm so tired of reading and hearing about rogue Chinese scientists in the U.S. If there are not tighter controls, we have no one to blame but ourselves for potential threats of losing intellectual property. Maybe a little more offense is needed. Mark grossed out says, what a joke. Seriously? No one knows where the home office of this business is in China. No contact or on foreign soil. Seriously? In this case, an unlicensed lab dealing in dangerous viruses and biologicals on U.S. soil in California, improperly disposing of waste, think tainted water supplies now from runoff of landfills. Again, not properly disposing of medical waste, operating under cover of darkness, and most importantly, if not the most egregious, why would this occur? The mice inside the warehouse had been genetically engineered to catch and spread the COVID-19 virus. On American soil, no doubt. Admitted by the agent owner, Wang Zin. Wait a second. Why would a mouse need to be genetically modified to catch and spread a virus if it was not the intended use of germ warfare? I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to Midnight Radio. If you'd like to continue uh, on our radio station, if you'd like for it to continue, any donation of any amount helps. That's where it all goes to. MidnightRad.io101 is our Gmail. Our cash app is dollar sign 
Midnight Radio 101. Thank you, guys. We're going to be back again soon. I got something to announce, but I'm not going to do it until it happens. But I might be seeing you guys in the morning very soon. I'm working on that. All right. Good night. Until next time. All my best. If you want to check out a radio station, you can groove through the night. Right down there in the video description. That's all I put now. That's all I put. Thank you, Alpine Gulch. Thank you, Zumac. Thank you, Hot Ham Dilly Pickles. Cooper, good night, everyone. Good night, Coop. Cooper. Cooper, you're still before you before I let you go. I had a uh, I had a question about law, the beginning of this show for you, and I don't remember what it was, so I can't ask you. But everybody, have a good night. All right.